Last week we, we read, I've enjoyed reading uh, the history of, of this church, a lot of rich history. Last week we referred to the minutes uh, dated 1803, uh, which was the beginning of this particular book. The clerk would uh, jot down notes of the particular services. Uh, they imp- there were some things that were very, very important to these folks back in their day, and they should also be important to us as well. One of the things that I noticed in reading through the, the history of this church, these, this is in the original handwriting. It's somewhat hard to read and interpret. Some of the ink has faded through the years. But I'll read an entry, and this was dated back in uh, 1819. 1819. On September the 22nd, it says, following the church meeting, William Stroud and Elizabeth Rigdon related their experience of a work of grace upon their souls, which being satisfactory, meant by the church, which being satisfactory, was baptized and received in the usual way. The next week, September 26th, following the church meeting, William Jeremiah Street and Mary Gladden related their experience of a work of grace upon their souls. Again, it says, which being satisfactory, was baptized and received in the usual way. As we mentioned last week that in the year 1803, this church prospered in a mighty way. As we go through and read, we see that almost every week there was one or two or more that were coming forward and sharing the work of grace that was on their heart. In fact, in a short period of time, this little church was blessed to have 236 folks that united with just within a year or maybe two years. It was amazing. Out of that large group, they began to letter out individuals, much like the churches in this area did for Southampton. And a church was started in Gunpowder Falls. There was another church in Baltimore. Uh, there was another church, uh, it's referred to as Hammond's Branch, and that was uh, the old Columbia Church that we meet at on Sunday afternoons, um, constituted in 1792. So there's a lot of history that came out of this location right here. But it was interesting in going through and reading some of the history of this church, there were some things that were really important to them here. Uh, They took their membership as a member of the body of Christ. They took it seriously. It was something that was very, very important to them. You can read the different uh, accounts and their different experiences. We looked at last week some of the original articles of faith 
that they had when the church was constituted. And it's interesting to note that our articles are almost identical, at least uh, the original five or six that they held to right here. There was much emphasis that was placed on the sovereignty of God. They realized that God was totally in control and that God was in charge of saving His people and that He did it. And it was emphasized in the original minutes without the aid of man. Without the aid of man. That it was solely by the work, the effectual work of the Holy Spirit. We still hold to that today. Our connection is not so much through the history here at the Old Brick Church, although that's very, very rich. But our connection of worshiping like the folks did here at Old Brick should travel back to the early New Testament church that Jesus Christ set up. And so we'll look at that here in just a minute. I wanted to take special note of something because it's, it's repeated over and over in here. Each time someone would unite with the church, this reference or a similar reference was made. They related their experience of a work of grace upon their souls. You know, if you really get right down to it, a lot of things that we think matter here in this life. But what really should matter to each one of us, each one of us here, is have we experienced that work of grace upon our soul? When God works His work of grace upon our soul, it changes us. It makes us different. Parents rejoice when they see a child that begins to manifest evidence that there's been a work of grace upon their soul. Everybody's experience is different. God works His way and His will and it's, it's unique for every child of God. It's, it's special and unique and not all experiences of grace are exactly the same. In fact, God doesn't always give us the experience of grace at the same time. We can go through and we can look at David's experience. And David, it says, was made to hope. I believe that's the experience of grace. The result of grace is that you're made to hope upon his mother's breast. So David, there was evidence that David was a nursing child when God blessed him with his experience of grace. We can go over and we can look at um, John's experience. And John, it said, was made to leap for joy in his mother's womb. So it is very possible that that John experienced, and we have the evidence that John experienced this experience of grace upon his soul while yet in his mother's womb. Then we can travel and go to the other extreme. And we can see the thief on the cross who was railing against the Lord in one minute and then a short time after that was praying to God and seeking God's blessings upon him and that experience of grace it appears 
And God is sovereign, and when, uh, the, when He chooses the, the time to grant His experience of grace upon the individual, God is sovereign in that. But it appears that at least it was manifest, and that's one of the greatest blessings and evidence that we have that God gives us an experience of grace is that it does manifest itself. It takes an individual that's totally dead in trespasses and sins and makes them alive. Now, we've, had, we've been to the funeral home here lately and we've been around folks that from a physical standpoint, they were dead. And there's not any ability uh, you don't, you, that you could talk to them, you could call to them, you could encourage them, you could coax them, but there's not anything that you're going to do that's going to give them life, nor are they going to respond. And that's the same way it is with the child of God spiritually. We are completely dead in trespasses and sins and with the absence of spiritual life until God who is sovereign, speaks the life-giving voice into us and says, live, and then we live. And then we have the evidence that we have that life within us. So it was important before they became a member of this church body, it was important that they relate an experience of grace. Now, some folks have an experience like the Apostle Paul, and we'll look at that here in just a minute. And some folks experience maybe a more subtle experience of grace. For some, we can see that it may happen. I, I was brought up in, a, in an order that the pastor called for a meeting with my mother and I, and I was 11 and a half years old, about to turn 12 years of age. And the pastor called for a meeting with my mother and I. And I still, the pastor became a good friend of mine, a wonderful man. He gave me good counsel and instructed me along the way. Just about a month ago at 92 years of age, he went home to be with the Lord. Uh, he preached funerals for my family. But he called me into his office with my mother. And mother and I were sitting across from the desk. And I remember just as clearly as it could be, he told me, he said, you need to do two things in order to secure your home in heaven. You're just about to reach, as he referred to it, the age of accountability. And his understanding was that the age of accountability was 12 years of age. When you turn 12 years old, you've reached the age of accountability, and now you're accountable for your sins. I promise you, I have this turned off and it's still ringing. Sorry about that. My turn off mode doesn't work, so I'm going to turn the phone completely off. So, sorry about that. I preached a funeral the other day and I heard a phone ringing and it was mine. And I was so embarrassed. It was in Texas. You think it throws you off, it really throws me off. So, pray, pray for me. And I remember that he gave me two things that I needed to do. Number one, I needed to accept the Lord and make a public profession of Jesus Christ. 
And number two, I needed to follow in gospel baptism. And if I did those two things, then I would secure my home in heaven. And I remember asking him, is it necessary to do both? And he said, well, if you're going to do one or the other, you at least need to make a public profession before other folks. And so the following Sunday, I went through the motions and I did just exactly what he told me to do. Later, about three years later, I came to the understanding that what I believe the Scriptures teach today is that it's not that we choose God, but God chooses us. And God oftentimes chooses us and calls us when we least expect it. And most of the time when He chooses us and calls us, we're going away from the Lord. That's not a problem for the Lord. The Lord is not up there wringing His hands and singing like we would sing softly and tenderly. Now, there's some good parts to the song, Jesus is Calling. No, when God calls His people, He does it with power and He does it with effectiveness. And He is successful 100% of the time. And no matter how far we are wandering from the Lord, that's not difficult for the Lord to reach our case and to turn us around. So when these folks were sharing their experience of grace, they were considering their life and they were saying, I'm not who I used to be. I'm somebody different because of God's amazing grace. Now, I can't personally take a calendar. Some folks can uh, Brother Larry Davis, dear friend of ours that just went home to be with the Lord, your cousin, he told me, he said, I can tell you the very day that the Lord dealt with me. He said, in fact, I could tell you I was coming up the steps at Mount Carmel from the basement. And he said, I can tell you the very step that I was standing on when God touched my heart. And he said, I knew right then that the Lord was my Savior and I had a hope in the Lord. And he said, I couldn't wait to be baptized. Now, interestingly, in here, when these folks came forward and gave and related their experience of grace, there was many times that it says that they went out the same day and they were baptized. They were excited about being baptized. And I think it's uh, worthy to share that when I asked Brother Ben, well, when do you want to do it? After he told us that he was going to offer himself for membership. I said, when do you want to do it? He said, as soon as possible. And I thought... That's wonderful. That's exactly how they felt. I, I, I do wonder, it doesn't say in here, but I wonder where they, uh, where they performed the baptism. Probably in some of the same bodies of water that we're going to. Very likely that was the case. So, wonderful experience. The experience of grace. That ought to be something that's really, really special to you. My dear grandmother came to live in my home when she was 82 and she'd had a stroke and she had cancer and had heart trouble and the doctors told us she had six months to live and she lived eight and a half years. In the last two years she was completely bedridden. She couldn't feed herself. You could have paid her a million dollars and she couldn't have turned herself over in bed. That was her condition. She couldn't remember the names of her three children. She even couldn't recognize them sometime. But if you could start talking about 
her baptism, her mind would travel back 85 years to when God touched her heart. And that was just as clear in her mind, if not more so than the day that she experienced her baptism. It was special to her. And it was for the rest of her life. Brother Ben, this is a happy day for us. But I pray it's going to really be a happy day for you. I pray that it's going to be special for you from now on. It's going to be an encouragement to your family. It's going to be a testimony to your children. But most of all, before the Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless you in taking up your cross to follow Him. And may He use you in a mighty way. The experience of grace. In reading through these old minutes, there's lots of references made to Ephesians and Romans and Philippians and John and some of the same scriptures that we treasure ourselves. I was saying that I don't remember exactly, and I can't mark it on the calendar, the very day that, that I experienced an experience of grace. But I do know this, that my earliest memory of any memory that I have was of going to church with my grandparents in a little frame building in a West Texas town of Brownfield, Texas. I was two years old and I remember going in there and my mother and father let me off at the door and I remember walking in this building and it seemed so big and so full of people. And I walked in looking for my grandparents who were there. And I remember that memory vivid. And I remember that there was something that blessed my soul. The hymn singing touched my heart. And I had a desire to hear it again. And to hear it more. And through the years, my grandparents on both sides of my family would take me to church. And I knew that there was something that was different. I knew there was something that blessed my soul. I wasn't brought up going to church. And I remember that that on Sunday that there was just something that was missing. Didn't really know what it was. But I knew that there was something that was missing. And I knew that when I had the blessing of going with my grandparents to church, that something blessed my soul. Didn't understand the details of it. I certainly didn't understand the doctrine. I knew that the the songs ministered to my heart and blessed me. And I knew that... When I heard about Jesus Christ, that there was something that connected there when, when my grandfather would read the Scriptures and he would talk about Christ. It wasn't like he was telling me about Christ for the first time, but that he was telling me about somebody that, that I knew. And I believe that the Scriptures teach us that if you love Christ and you know Christ, that that's an evidence that, that God has touched your heart. And then as I began to get a little bit older, at 15 years of age, 12 years of age, and 15 years of age, I realized that there was something that was void in my life. There was something that was missing. And I began to think back about those early days of going with my grandparents to an old Baptist church, a little building. And I looked up the old building that we went to, and this this building that when I was two years old seemed so big was now this little bitty clapboard building in West Texas. And when when I found the nearest primitive Baptist, I 
I, I couldn't wait to go and, and see if the experience blessed my heart like it had in the past. And I've mentioned to you the first time that I went, I'd just gotten my driver's license, actually my hardship license. I didn't have the official license. Uh, supposed to be able to drive to, to school and to work, period. And I extended it to church. Um, I shortly then got my real license. But I remember pulling up in front of the building. And I remember sitting there and watching the people get out of the car, much like we did this morning as you all were pulling up. Now, I remember as a 15-year-old kid, I thought to myself, I don't want to go in there all by myself. Everybody there has somebody else. There were families. There were husbands and wives. There were older folks that were going in. But it seemed like that everybody had somebody. And I didn't want to go in by myself. And so I watched all the people go in. And I couldn't get enough nerve to go in. And I drove off. All week that bothered me. So the next week I went back and I did the same thing. I watched people get out and go in and I thought, now I'm not going to just do this every week. You know, just come up here and watch other folks go in. You've got to get enough nerve to go in and, 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 and join the folks. So there was a little lady that was walking in about my mother's age. It was about 11 o'clock when singing was already starting. And I saw her walk in, so I got out and I walked alongside her. And I thought, maybe folks will think that that's my mother and I'm not by myself. Little ladies in her 80s now and still a real blessing. She was, a, she was a mother in Israel to me, a great blessing. But I started going. I did not understand the doctrine at all. But I knew that I loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And I knew that I found the people that loved the Lord. And I knew that I found the people that seemed to love me in spite of being a little 15-year-old wayward boy, not having hardly any sense of direction, that I found a people that loved me and a people that cared, and I kept going. Later, I began to study and read about the doctrines of grace. I wasn't brought up believing that. I don't know that I'd ever heard it preached. Maybe when I went to church with my grandparents at an early age, but I didn't understand it. And at first I didn't even embrace it. And I read the scriptures to prove that that was not the case. And the more I read them, the more that it pointed me to the doctrines of grace. I remember asking my grandparents. They were my authority and a great source of direction. I said, have you ever heard of this doctrine? Of sovereign grace? And they said, oh yes. Not only have we heard of it, we believe it. We embrace it. It's precious to us. Well, when my grandparents told me that it's something they believed, I had to seriously consider it. I want to tell you, there's a special, special role that grandparents have. There's a great influence that grandparents have over grandchildren. I know the Lord could have worked it in a number of ways, but the Lord worked on my life through my grandparents and through directing me through them. And I'll always be thankful for that. So I want to tell you, if God's blessed you with grandchildren, that's a special, special blessing that you have. And you have a special opportunity to influence them. They gave an account of their experience of grace. Ephesians chapter 2. Here it describes it. Paul says, And you hath he 
quickened. It just simply means that God takes something that's dead and He gives it life. And He speaks that life-giving voice and we live. Now, it's not because of our works of righteousness. Our works of righteousness are important. But they don't come as a cause for us to have an eternal home. Our works of righteousness come as the result of God working in our heart and giving us new desires and a new life. It doesn't totally eradicate this old Adam nature. That's going to happen when the Lord takes us home. Here in this life, we still have some struggles along the way. We still... Uh, maybe think some thoughts we shouldn't think or we say some words that we shouldn't say and then we're condemned but the difference is when we do those things we're convicted about it the Lord who loves us is not going to allow us to just live any kind of way your parents love you enough that they'll chasten you for the purpose of directing you in the right way. And the reason they chasten you is because they love you. And God chastens us because He loves us. And He desires that we live a life that bears fruit to Him by serving Him. So here He says, And you hath He quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So Paul takes and defines or he breaks down what they're referring to right here, what our forefathers pinned down about individuals that came forward seeking a home in the church and to seek in baptism. And Paul breaks it down like this. He says, we were dead in trespasses and sins. He says, in times past, we walked according to the course of this world, according to the spirit of disobedience. Uh, he says, and, and he says, and fulfilling the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And he says, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Paul says, this is our condition right here, aside from grace. So here he comes down. He says, but God, brother Corbin. Your dad preached an able sermon one time, and the title of it, you might have heard it, was, But God. You can go through the scriptures, and you can look at the places, and you can see the course that folks are going, even ourselves, and uh, the course that we would pursue, but God. And here he tells us, he says, this is our life, this is our status, he says, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Why did God save us? Why did God deliver us? Why did God give us spiritual life? Why did God, why does God give us the experience of grace? It's because God loves his children. 
God desires that His name be honored and glorified. And somehow, in spite of who we are, in spite of the things that we think, say, do, in spite of those things, God loves us. And God shed His mercy down upon us. And God touches us. And here's what He says. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together. Quickened us. That's the experience of grace. He says, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. Paul puts that in here uh, multiple times. He says, while we were dead in sins. So if you've experienced the experience of grace in your heart, if you've experienced it, you might be able to think back in your life in a time before you experienced grace. If you can't think back to a time that you were pursuing the course of the world and fulfilling your minds with the lust thereof, then it may be very evident that God touched you when you were either in your mother's womb, upon your mother's breast like David, or in your youth. It's very possible that God could have quickened you like that. Some folks, it's very evident and they can almost mark it on a calendar. It says, even when we were dead in sins, He's quickened us together. So first of all, we were not pursuing God. We weren't seeking God. We weren't running after God. God comes after us. Look what He says. Even when we were dead in sins, He's quickened us together with Christ. And He says this twice. He says, by the way, by grace... Are you saved? He mentions it again. He says, And He hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And these next three verses are so rich. Here's the experience of grace. Now, I share with you what Paul is sharing right here. And we'll look at Paul's experience. But what's really, really important is what is your experience of grace? Have you experienced the grace of Almighty God? Have you experienced this this grace in your soul? Has it given you a hunger for Christ and a hatred for the world? The things that once enticed you and pleased you, do they bother you? Do they trouble you? If they do, it's a good evidence that God has touched you with His grace in your heart. And that you've experienced this work of grace. Three wonderful verses right here. For by grace, go talk to John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace. Learn his experience. He was on a ship persecuting folks and God reached him and turned him around. The preacher wasn't anywhere to be had. But the Spirit of God effectively touched him and turned him around. For by grace are you saved through faith. You know, it's been 45 years since I first learned the message of God's sovereign grace. And do you know, 
it doesn't get old. You can't wear it out. It gets more and more special and more and more precious as the years go by. For by grace are you saved through faith. And he says, just in case we get to thinking that that faith is something that we need to conjure up and, and, and design and des, uh, develop ourselves, He says right here, for by grace are you saved through faith. And he says, and that's not of yourselves. Your faith is a gift of God. Your faith is a gift of God. Your belief is a gift of God. Your hope is a gift of God. Your spiritual life is a gift of God. Everything that you have is a gift from Almighty God. Now, if it's a gift, what did you do to get it? He says, for by grace you're saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, he said, it's a gift of God. And he says, and by the way, I'm putting that in there. He says, it's not of works. It's not one of these systems that you live your life and you, your good works outweigh your bad works. And if you, if you have one more good work than you do bad works, then you'll live in heaven eternally someday. He said, no, it's not based on works. And he said, here's why it's not. Now, there's multiple reasons, but here's one reason that it's not. He says, it's not of works. He says, lest any man should boast. We like to boast. And God knows it. And God works salvation out in such a way that the only one that can boast about our salvation is the Lord. We can't boast about it. I can't boast about yours. You can't boast about mine. I can't boast about mine. Only the Lord. He says it's not based upon works of righteousness. He says, lest any man should boast. But then here, immediately following. So this does away with the idea that some folks would say, well, if I believed in sovereign grace, if I believed in salvation by grace, I had a pastor that told me one time, he said, a, a gentleman came up to him afterwards and he said, if I believed like you did, if I believed in sovereign grace, he said, I'd go out and I'd just sin any way I want to. And my pastor told him, he says, if you believed in sovereign grace like I believe in sovereign grace, you'd already realize that you sin far more than you want to. Here immediately works falls right in line. He says, for we're not saved by works of righteousness, but we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. I want to touch on, we've, we've looked at the experience of grace of some of our forefathers in here, I want to look at some in uh, the book of Acts. Specifically, since Paul writes about it so much, let's just look at Paul's experience of grace upon his soul. Here's Paul's experience. Acts chapter 9. So, this goes through and it describes, and about out of time, and uh, so we're going to go through this really quick. Acts chapter 9, real good. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters of Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any in the way, whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as they journeyed, he came near Damascus, and there suddenly shined round about him a light from heaven. Now this is Paul's experience. Not everybody has it exactly the same way, but the end result is the same. Paul was going about 
seeking letters of permission to be able to persecute Christians. So, needless to say, he was going away from the Lord. He was not pursuing the Lord. He was going contrary to the Lord and the Lord's people. And he says that as he journeyed, now to show you that there's a blessing, I I think, and there's an important role for the evangelist and the preacher, for brothers and sisters in Christ. But in Paul's experience right here, the preacher wasn't anywhere to be found. In fact, when the Spirit bade the preacher to go, later on in this chapter, the preacher says, I I don't really think I want to go to him. I've heard about him. And that character, if you talk to him about the Lord, he's going to put you in prison. And so the... Uh, Ananias says, I, I, I just don't know if I want to, I don't know if I want that job. So the preacher wasn't anywhere to be found when God worked his work of grace in their heart. It says Paul was going away from the Lord. He was uh, going to persecute the Christians. And it says, and suddenly, th- talking about an experience of grace, it says, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. Your experience of grace comes directly from God. It doesn't, it's not dependent upon the preacher. It's not dependent upon the message. It's not dependent upon the parent. Your experience of grace comes directly from God. It can work in spite of the preacher and everybody else. Here the Apostle Paul experienced Something miraculous. And can I tell you that your experience of grace is truly miraculous. Can you think of where you would be aside from grace? He says right here. A light shined round about him from heaven. And he fell to the earth. And heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. He says, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Did you know that one of the evidences of God's amazing grace of your experience of grace upon your soul is that it humbles you? It is. It humbled Paul and it humbles you. And you realize that you're you're an unworthy sinner that you can't help yourself. But that something touched your heart and touched your soul and gives you a hope in the Lord. Look what he says. He stood trembling and astonished and he said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And he says, and Saul rose from the earth when his eyes were open and he saw no man. They led him by the hand to Damascus and he was there three days without sight and neither did he eat or drink. And he says, and there was a certain disciple. Here's the preacher named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision said Ananias and Ananias said, behold, I am here. And the Lord said unto him. The Lord telling the preacher, he says, Ananias, you go arise and go to the street, which is called straight and inquire of the house of Judah for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And he says, and he hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. 
And this is Ananias' response. Ananias said, he heard, he answered the Lord. And here's Ananias' response. He says, I've heard by many, I've heard about this man. And I've heard how much evil that he's done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call upon his name. But then the Lord said to Ananias, Ananias is saying, I I don't think I want to go. I don't want that job. I I, I know that that you're bidding me to go, but I've, I've heard about this man. I've heard about this character. The history of this man is that he, he's not favorable to Christians. He'll cast us into prison. And Ananias was reluctant to go. And the Lord responded to Ananias. And this is what he said. The Lord said unto him, Go thy way, Ananias. You go to Paul. Because he says, He is a chosen vessel Unto me. Do you know what? That makes all the difference in the world. It really does. No matter what I think about somebody's spirituality. I've met folks that they felt like that they were the authority. And could determine who was and who wasn't going to heaven. You know what? No matter what I think about it. What matters is if they're a chosen vessel by God. And look at the second thing that he says. He says he's a chosen vessel and he's going to bear my name among the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And he reminded him, Ananias, Paul is a praying man. If you've got a heart to talk to the Lord, you've had an experience of grace upon your soul. It, it comes on down and it, it, it talks about that. Um, it says Ananias went in. He entered into his house. Putting his hands on him and said brother Saul. He said the Lord Jesus has appeared unto thee. In a way as thou camest. And he hath sent me. That thou mightest receive thy sight. And be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes. as it had been scales. And he received sight forwith and he arose and was baptized says he received sight the purpose of the gospel minister is not at all to give life but the purpose of the gospel minister is to take God's word and to remove some of those scales that are on our eyes some of the misunderstandings some of the questions that we have To help us to see Christ more clearly. And understand more about Him. Understand more about who we are. But understand more about our Savior Jesus Christ. He says immediately. That He arose. And He was baptized. Share with you one more. This one's a little bit different. I know we're we're past time. uh, But just want to touch on this one. Philip, in Acts chapter 8, verse 26, it says, Philip was, uh, the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, Arise and go toward the south, go into Gaza. And it says that he arose and went, and a man of Ethiopia of great authority 
uh, under Candace the queen, had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem to worship. So here's another evidence that you've had an experience of grace upon your heart. It says that this Ethiopian eunuch was on his way to worship the Lord. Do you know, you're probably going to be on your way to about a thousand other places than worship the Lord unless you've had an experience of grace upon your heart. I would say that if you're here and you had a desire to come and worship the Lord today, that's an evidence that you've had an experience of grace upon your heart. Here it says that he was reading Isaiah. And the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself unto the chariot. And Philip ran thither, and he heard him reading Isaiah. And he said to the eunuch, he said, Philip said to the eunuch, he said, Do you understand what you're reading? This is the role of the gospel minister, is to take God's Word and just simply explain what you're reading. He says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can, how can I understand it? The eunuch just turns back to him and he says, how can I understand? He says, unless some man guide me. And he says that it's interesting. Philip came up to sit with him in the chariot. And the place of the scripture where he read was, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, as a lamb dumb before a shear. He opened not his mouth in his humiliation. His judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip, and he said, I pray thee, of whom speakest thou this? Uh, Another man, or himself, or a prophet, or this man? And then Philip, and this is the, the blessing, the opportunity of the gospel minister... The eunuch is saying, I don't understand it. I can't connect the dots. And he says, can you help me here? And he says, Philip opened his mouth. And it's interesting. He didn't say that he turned to ten other scriptures. It says he started in that very same scripture. And he preached Jesus Christ unto him. Did you know that that's the same message today? It's the message that our forefathers preached here. Uh, Almost 300 years ago, it's the same message that was taught here in the book of Acts. We preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what it's all about. It's all about Christ. As He began to see it, as He began to understand, as He began to embrace it, He says, what must I do? And no doubt, Philip addressed the, uh, the purpose of baptism. And he says, as they went on their way, they came to certain water. And it says, the eunuch said, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Do you know, I think that's a real good question. If we've not experienced gospel baptism, if we haven't, I think that's a real good question that Philip, that the eunuch said to Philip. He said, here's water. He said, what hinders me to be baptized? And so here's the response that Philip gave him. If thou believest with all thy heart, Your belief is an evidence that you've had grace upon your soul. He says, if thou believest with all thine heart, and he he says, thou mayest. And he he answered and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm going to tell you right now that if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you've had a work of grace upon you your soul. If you can say that Jesus Christ is my Lord, I believe it. 
when I hear those songs sung, it makes my heart rejoice. Then you've had a work of grace upon your heart. It says that he confessed that he believed that Jesus Christ. It says, and he commanded the chariot to stand still. And it says, they both went down into the water. Now, one of the things that was real important for Brother Ben and myself is that we find a body of water that's deep enough that we can go down into that body of water. Why is that important? Because we understand that baptism, baptizo, to dip, to immerse, is to lay them down in that watery grave, to bury them, and then to raise them back up. It'd be not a good setting if we went somewhere and the the spot wasn't deep enough to to be able to, to immerse. Because the symbol of baptism is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This, that when we experience baptism, it should cause our minds to travel back to what Christ has done for us. He says, He commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down into the water. They came up out of the water. And He says, The Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more. And, and I, I want to tell you that so far, and I don't think today's going to be an exception, the fulfillment of this next verse, I've witnessed it right here. It says, they came up out of the water. They came up out of the water. And it says, and they went on their way rejoicing. Do you know what? Each of you that are going to travel to the river today, and witness the baptism, you're going to get to share in that. We're taught that there is rejoicing in heaven. There's rejoicing with the individual that's being baptized. And there's rejoicing with the minister. And there's rejoicing with the congregation. It's a great time of rejoicing. And it says they went on their way rejoicing. Now, God has prepared... This wonderful entity called His church. As much as I like this old building and the history that it represents, and I do, I'm I'm blessed by it. My mind enjoys traveling back and thinking about what it must have been like and the rich history. And I'm honored that we could come here and even hold a service. What a rich history that we have. Brother David reminds us of this in his prayer, and I appreciate it. The church is not this beautiful building, but the church is right here. It's here, and it's here, and it's here. And he's blessed with this wonderful church that while we live here on this earth, have our troubles and trials and struggles along the way, that we can kind of link our arms together. And we can stand against the challenges of Satan. We can kind of hold each other up just a little bit when we get down along the way. We can kind of help direct and encourage others when they get discouraged along the way. We've got this wonderful church family, this wonderful church body that God has blessed us with to sojourn here. We're described in Hebrews. Sometimes we feel this way more than other times as a bunch of pilgrims and strangers. 
Pilgrims and strangers are looking for something better. In fact, they're looking for something that's far better. And our heavenly home is. But until we get there, God's blessed us with this little oasis. I don't know about you, but the more that times seem to be dark and discouraging all around us, this little oasis of a handful of the Lord's people sure is helpful along the way. May God bless you.